Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. And it's, man, it's, it's sooner than it ever has been. If you're just looking at the, the events within world history and how things are happening, and, and I'm not some conspiracy theorist or anything, I don't pay attention to any of that stuff, but we know, if you know your Bible at all, there are things that are lining up. You can't deny the fact that we are getting so much closer to Jesus coming back, and so now's the time. If you're ever gonna turn to Jesus, now's the time to turn to Jesus, because the Messiah's coming. There are many things that are promised in the Bible. There's the promise of salvation for all of those who believe and call on the name of Jesus for salvation. There's also the promise that He will come again. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus said that He was going to come back. There were people in the Bible, and even today, who have become complacent with that promise. In today's message, Pastor James is going to encourage us to be on the lookout and stay alert, because Jesus is coming back. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 1, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Turn to the Gospel of Mark, if you don't mind. Finding hope and new life in Jesus. That's what we're about. This world needs hope. This world needs Jesus. And what we want to be about as Calvary Galveston is a place of hope because we're connected to Jesus. And so part of the way we do church is we pray about it. And as the Lord leads us, the Spirit kind of just moves. And we really felt like He wants us to go through the Gospel of Mark. And so we start at chapter 1, verse 1, and we go through the entire book of Mark. We have 66 books to pick from. What happens when we go through all of them? Well, we start over. We just start over. And we just keep going back to the Word because that's all we want to do. You don't want my ideas. You don't want my philosophies. You don't want, there's, you don't want what I have to offer other than the Word of God. Okay? So, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. In case you don't know, this gospel is a little different than the other ones. Mark and John both start right off with, like, no genealogy, None of that stuff. It's not that it wasn't important. They're not writing to that audience. If you want the genealogy, Matthew and Luke go extensively into the genealogy, which is important, but they're also writing to a different audience. Mark is writing to more of a Gentile type audience, and he's presenting Jesus as the servant, the servant of God. And so he's going to get right into the action. So that's why you see this verse one. It says, I'm going to read from New Living Translation. But it says, this is the good news, or this is the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and we can just pause right there. So Mark hits the road running, and we know that from our intro last week that Mark is used to, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this book, but it was Peter that was also there partnered with Mark so that we got this gospel, Okay. And Mark just throws it, I mean, just right off the door, right off, I mean, with a bang. This is the gospel about Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Son of God. No, no need for an explanation. This is who he is. Mark, he doesn't need to present an argument of like, let me show you the proof. No, you keep reading, and then you find the proof that Jesus is 
the Messiah, that he truly was and is the son of God. And so Mark's just like right off into it. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And it's all about Jesus. And that's another good thing about the gospels. The gospels are not about you and I. They're not about us. In fact, the whole story, the whole biblical story is not about us. It's about Jesus. We play parts within this thing and he has callings for us and we can serve him and, and do, and, you know, whether it's on a mission field or it's within a church, we get to participate, but it's not about us. And especially within a day and age where everything has to be about us, the Bible stands firm and it stands solid that this is not about you. And if we get that down, that it's all about him, I'm going to tell you this, your life will be much much more stress-free. You'll be much more stress-free. When, when we realize that, man, I praise God that I'm here. I praise God that he has me where he has me. I praise God for the family he's blessed me with. I praise God for the church and this calling that he's called me to. But I also know that none of this is about me. None of this is about me. But he lets us participate within the story. But I want us to know, I want us to make sure that we realize that this good news is all about Jesus. It's all about him. And that's what Mark starts off with. The gospel, the good news, it's all about him. So he's the Messiah. He's the son of God. And he says it, it began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. And so he actually does two quotes here, uh, one from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and then the other one's from Malachi 3, verse 1. But he says, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. He is the voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. These two uh, Old Testament references here are concerning John the Baptist and his specific role as the Messiah has shown up. His role, and this was anytime royalty would show up into a town, they would prepare the way. So kind of like I don't know who we're waiting for concerning the 45, but they're preparing the way for Jesus, maybe. I don't know, because it's taken them a long time. That's the idea, right? It's like any roads going into the city, you have to go through and fill the potholes. And if it was paved with bricks or whatever, then you go back through and you make that road as nice and as smooth and as clear as possible. So they would, they would almost demolish roads, so that they'd have a brand new, clear path for whoever this important person was coming into the city. John the Baptist here, Johnny B, whatever you want to call him, JTB if you want to, uh, I saw that reference uh, earlier. He's basically a bulldozer for Jesus. He's going to clear a path for Jesus. John the Baptist, and, and this is who it's speaking of here, this, this prophecy, John the Baptist would be the last of the Old Testament prophets, he looked, probably spoke a lot like Elijah, even wore the same kind of clothes, kind of almost had the same diet as well. But this is his role. This is what he was here on this planet for a very short time, very short time, okay? May have made it to his 30s, 2.30, maybe. Then he was beheaded. He's only six months older than his cousin, Jesus, okay? But he was here specifically for this role to prepare a way for the Messiah. That was his calling. That was his purpose. And he fulfilled it. So this is who Mark is setting us up for. 
this prophecy from Malachi and from Isaiah is talking about John the Baptist and his role to prepare a way for the Lord. Verse four, here's concerning all of John's ministry. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and he preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all people from Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River, hence John the Baptist, okay? So now hopefully you already knew that, but if not, there you go. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey, right? So there you go. Very keto-friendly diet, I guess. So just to paint this picture for you concerning John, um, he's a wild man. He's like, you know, he's probably got the beard, full beard and all this good stuff. But uh, his parents were waiting for him to arrive. Okay, They, they hadn't been able to have a kid for years and years and years. As his parents are like, you know, advanced in years probably beyond the ability of having kids and all that good stuff, the Lord shows up and communicates to John's dad, you're going to have a son, right? And, and he goes through this whole process. And so I'm thinking John's dad, who served in the temple, his, maybe his thought process would be, oh, this is amazing. I got a son who's going to follow in my footsteps. Well, not exactly. He's not going to be serving in the temple. He's going to be serving out in the wilderness, and he's not going to be doing, and not that John, John's dad, I don't believe, was a, was a bad guy at all, because we know that some of these religious uh, leaders back in the day were, were pretty corrupt. A lot of the religious people were, were corrupt. I don't believe that John, John's dad was at all. He seemed like he was devoted to the Lord in everything that he did. But you can understand that the excitement of a, a dad having a son who's going to, you know, your firstborn son, he's going to follow in my footsteps and serve in the temple and do all this stuff. And the Lord's like, no, nah, I got other plans. I got other plans. And I'm, I'm sure both of John's parents were, were well aware of Malachi chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 40 and how the Lord had already set their son apart for this ministry. That was going to be totally different than anything else anybody had ever seen. In fact, I mean, it was so different that, I mean, John the Baptist was named, he's John the Baptist. There were no other people that we're aware of back in that day who had that the Baptist added to their name. So more than likely, he was the only guy out there in the wilderness baptizing people. Now, just so you understand, the Jews would baptize Gentiles who were converting to Judaism. So there was a baptism practice, ritual that happened. But that was more so them coming into to become a, a Jew, so to speak. But John's out in the wilderness around the Jordan River, baptizing with a baptism of repentance. Like, come on, um, you, you, you know you're a sinner. Let's own it and let's turn back to God. We've had 300 years of silence. We haven't heard from God in, in a, you know, from a prophet or anything like that. Not that he wasn't speaking individually to people because there was still a lot of stuff happening in those silent years. Inter-Testament years is what we call that. But no prophet had shown up. And so you have a nation that's like, wanting to hear from God. 
And the biggest, the biggest problem, well, number one, the Lord's timing is perfect. And so John was going to show up when John was supposed to show up. Jesus was going to show up when Jesus was supposed to show up. It's all been ordained by God. And he's got it scheduled how he wants it to happen. But we also know the hearts of the people were not in a place where they needed to be. And so John shows up and he's like, we need to repent. We need to repent. And I love this message that, that John basically has for everybody. He says, we need to repent. And it's not like you need to repent because you're bad people. He says, you need to repent because Jesus is coming. And I think that's the most effective message. Because people need to repent. We all need to repent. I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years. You know what I still have to do at times? Repent. I still have to repent. But I love it that John's not like, you need to repent because, because hell is coming. Is, would that be true for some individuals who don't give their life to the Lord? Absolutely. But he's like, no, you need to repent because the Messiah is coming. We have the same message today. Our message should be that of like, man, you should turn, you should turn towards the Lord because he's coming back. And it's, man, it's, it's sooner than it ever has been. If you're just looking at the, the events within world history and how things are happening, and, and I'm not some conspiracy theorist or anything, I don't pay attention to any of that stuff, but we know, if you know your Bible at all, there are things that are lining up. You can't deny the fact that we are getting so much closer to Jesus coming back. And so now's the time, if you're ever going to turn to Jesus, now's the time to turn to Jesus because the Messiah is coming. Our king is coming back. And he didn't, he's not coming this time to die. He's coming to rule and to reign. So let's get right. So that should be our message to people. And not like this, with that comes judgment. That's, that's a part of it. That's a very real part, you know, part of this whole Jesus coming back. Our message to individuals should be, Jesus is coming back. We should get right with him. Get right with the Lord. Turn to the Lord. Follow the Lord. Be ready. I mean, this is what people from the 60s and 70s, this whole Jesus movement, that was what it was all about. It was about, yeah, we all know we're messed up. Yeah, so let's turn to Jesus because he could come back today. I mean, you, you run around with that kind of philosophy, and we've lost that, I think, to a, to a large extent. We're so distracted nowadays. And the world has done a really good job at, like, distracting us and occupying our minds with this and that and all this stuff. And we forget, because I can say, yeah, Jesus is coming back soon. And we're like, yeah, I guess so. No, no, no. He really, it could be any moment. We know historically, even prophetically, there's nothing standing in the way of him coming back. They've all been fulfilled. We're not waiting for this next prophecy. I mean, the big one was Israel becoming a nation again. And that happened 60 plus years ago. That was like the last one, the last big one. So what are we waiting for? We're not waiting for anything. So that's, and, and John shows up and he's like, look, we need to repent because he's here. The Messiah is here. And he would proclaim this in a, in a little bit. We're, we won't cover this story today, but when he baptizes Jesus, Jesus walks onto the scene and John's message is like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So let's get right, because he's right here. 
And that's what I would hope that as believers, our hearts are, our hearts and our minds are fixated on that. Man, any moment, any moment. And I don't know where you're at uh, theologically with rapture stuff, if you're a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib person. Look, I'm just ready for Jesus to come back. I'm a pre-trib guy. Um, that's that's where I, I kind of, you know, we can talk about that and all that good stuff. I just, I, I kind of align myself with the pre-trib. He, he calls his church out and the Holy Spirit's removed from this place. And then you got seven years of, uh, hold on. Just hold on to hold on to your uh, hold on to your seat. Three and a half good years ish, kinda, and then three and a half years of basically hell on earth. But I'm of the mindset. I want my heart to be continually Maranatha, Lord Jesus, which means come quickly, come quickly, come quickly. This is what John was doing. This is the role that God had specifically had for him, and he's going to fulfill that calling. He's going to fulfill that role. And he looks the part. I mean, there's things about his clothing. Again, this is, this. if you go back into the Old Testament and you study the, the person of Elijah, you would know that he wore the same kind of garment. And I don't know why it's out of coarse camel hair. There's, I'm sure there's some connections to that. I can't imagine that being the most comfortable thing to wear. I, I don't know. I have no idea. I've ridden on a camel once before. And it, their hair is very coarse, and it's, they smell. They just smell. They're horrible-smelling animals. Beautiful, I get. Well, they're not even that beautiful, honestly. They're mean. They're moody. They, oh, yeah, I just, I've had my fair share of experiences in Israel with some camels. And, you know, that's all I remember is just uh, the smell of these things. So I'm imagining John the Baptist wearing this garment. It's just like... Man, who is this guy? And he's walking around. He's got a, more than likely, he's got this black leather belt around his waist. And, and he's pronouncing this, this, this announcement. He's, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Our Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, is here. Let's get ready. How do we get ready? Confess your sins. Get baptized. And this baptism here is, it's just a, it's a, a display of sign, a, a, just a show of like, I've confessed my sins. And I'm, I'm publicly right here just showing that I'm publicly like, I'm renouncing my sins and I, I'm preparing myself for the, for the Messiah kind of a thing. And so he's dunking people like crazy. What, what Mark's gospel doesn't, doesn't really let us know is that who all was coming out to these baptism services. Some of the other gospels would let us know that. I mean, everybody was flocking out to this thing and he's just baptizing people like crazy. But then the Pharisees, the religious leaders show up and he's like, oh, the snake showed up. Brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath that's, that's at hand? See, they were out there to make a, a good showing for the crowds. Well, we should probably go down there. You know, this John the Baptist, they all knew this guy has to be a prophet. They knew that. And so the crowds are going to there, which means they're not having the crowds kind of following them. Say so they're losing some attention from all the crowds. And so they're going to go out there and check this thing out. And, and John's like, well, what are you guys doing here? Why are you guys here? You know you're not here to repent of your sins. Because as far as you're concerned, you don't have any. You're the good guys. And so John kind of lays into those guys. You can read, like I said, you can read the other gospel accounts concerning that. But Mark is like, Here, here's who John the Baptist is. Here's what he was doing. This was his message. And he's just boom, boom, boom. He's just like, it's just like an action movie. It's just like this scene to this scene to this scene. I mean, he's just going for it. 
Concerning John's diet, just an interesting little thing here. Locusts were, were okay to eat. So if he was eating the actual locusts, that's actually a clean animal that he could eat. And you'd be thinking like, oh, that's so gross. I've had grasshopper and I've had crickets. And I'm going to tell you, they're not that bad. You fry them up in peanut oil and they, they taste like peanuts. It's amazing. And you're like, they're so gross. Hey, if you haven't tried it, you remember your parents telling you this. You haven't tried it. You can't say anything. There, there is a tree that's, that's over there that um, the fruit that it would bear, they also call that locusts. So, and it tastes like, almost has like this chocolate kind of flavor to it. So either John had like a sweet tooth or he just liked eating locusts, the bugs. More likely these were actually locusts that he was getting a hold of and, and just dip them in honey. And I mean, that's, that's, it's not a bad snack. I love honey too. But you can understand that this dude is just a wild man. I mean, he's, he's, He's wearing this camel garb. He's got this belt on. He's got his pouch full of locusts. He's got his other little jar of honey, and he's just dunking the locusts in there, and locust bits are flying all over the place. They're in his beard, and he's just yelling at people to repent for, because the Messiah is here. And more likely, a lot of people were just intimidated by the stature of this guy, and they're just like, this, this is a wild man. Like, I think I should probably just do what he says because he might hurt me, right? Like, that may have been their idea, but... They knew that this guy was, this guy was spirit-filled, just power, power. And, and we know that because his, his message was short and sweet, and it was impactful. And we know it was impactful because people were responding to the message. And it's one thing to have a good message, and it's one thing to hear a good message, but it's a whole other thing to respond to a message, And people were hearing John's message as the Holy Spirit had empowered him and has called him to this specific thing. And he was saying, repent, and people were repenting. And that's that's where it's at. So when we hear messages and there's a call to action, we got to act upon the call. Because showing up to Bible studies and and sermons and, and even doing your own personal Bible study, you know, it it will only do you so good. It's good for you, but it will only take you so far. If you never apply, you're not going all the way. You're actually selling yourself short. And it's th- it probably is the worst thing for you. Because you'll get frustrated because you're wondering, like, well, why isn't my life changing? Why, isn't my, why am I not noticing, you know, differences here? And why don't I, I, don't, I don't feel stronger in my walk with the Lord? Well, are you applying what you're reading and studying? If the answer to that is no... Well, there you go. We have to put it into practice. You have to, Christianity is all about, like I said, it's, it's participation and it's practice and putting it into, and we use that word practice because none of us are ever going to get it right. It's called practice for a reason. So just keep practicing it. And then one day you'll stand before Jesus and then the perfection comes into play because he makes you perfect. But here on this earth, We're just practicing, and we put it into practice. So we'd be wise, even hearing this message from John concerning repenting because the Lord is is on his way. It it would be a wise thing for for all of us to take that to heart, regardless of where you're at with the Lord, to take that to our heart and say, you know what, I think I should, man, Spirit, search me, know me. Find it, if there's any way in me 
that is contrary to you, that shouldn't be there, will reveal that to me so that I can own it, so that I can repent of it. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a person. Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle as he teaches through the book of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' time here on earth. Though it's short, this book is powerful as it's filled with encounters that Jesus had with people, everyday people just like you and me. And the book of Mark reminds us that Jesus came to serve. He humbly did what needed to be done, even if it wasn't glamorous. Jesus healed the people who were sick. He spent time with the lonely and the rejected. He loved the unloved unconditionally. And then he proved his love by the ultimate act of service. He gave up his life for all of us. He took the place of every person on the earth, and then those to come, because we all deserve death. Our sins make us unacceptable to God, and we're unable to do anything to fix it. That's why we need Jesus. Today, if you haven't allowed Jesus to be your Savior, please consider it again. If you have questions or would you like to talk more with someone, then please take a moment and go to breadforthebroken.com and click on Contact. Just fill out the form and we'll be in touch with you. You can also come visit us if you're in the Galveston area. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we meet every Sunday and Thursday. So find out more at breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off in the book of Mark. So make a note of where we are and make plans to join us next time, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you